Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Good morning, Emmanuel Church. How are you feeling today? If this is your first time here at any one of our locations, whether it's Banta, Franklin, Garfield Park, here at Greenwood, or if it's the first time you're watching online somewhere around the country or even around the world, we want to say welcome to all of our first-time guests. Can we give it up for them really quick? Thank you for accepting someone's invitation. Uh, to be here. And if you're not new, hey, welcome back. Hey, we are in a series right now called Inseparable, and we're going to dive in here just in a moment. Before we do that, I just want to take a brief moment and acknowledge the tragedy that took place here locally in Indianapolis at the FedEx facility on Friday morning, where eight people tragically lost their lives, and the gunman took the, took the gun and turned it on himself. And uh, I just want to, as a, as a, a church, I just want to lift up those families who lost, lost loved ones right now and all the co-workers there, uh, the, the management there at, at FedEx, and just ask God to, to fill the gaps and comfort, comfort those who've lost loved ones and, and for that company in general. Would you, would you pray with me real quick? Heavenly Father, we live in a, a broken world. Where you, you ask us to pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because your will is not done on earth as it is in heaven. There's brokenness here. There's pain. There's hurt. People are struggling. People commit terrible, horrible crimes. And God, right now, I just want to lift up every single family who lost a loved one. A brother, a father, a sister, a mother, friends. God, I pray that you'd comfort them in a way that only you can at this time. I pray for FedEx. I pray for the employees there. I know that there's probably several watching now in the crowd sitting here that have to go back to work at that same facility. I pray that you'd give them peace and courage, that you'd bring healing to that company to those, who, those employees who knew those who, who, were, who, who were tragically killed, that you would heal that company and, and bring peace to the whole scenario in, only, in a way that only you can. And so, God, I just pray that you would show your favor and your mercy at this time to everyone involved in that situation, even the family of the gun, of the shooter, that you would minister to them, that bring comfort to them as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining me in prayer that way. So we are continuing a series right now called Inseparable. We started it three weeks ago, two weeks ago on Easter, and essentially we began with this idea that God loves you. And that idea for many, many people brings a a ton of comfort and security, and uh, it really roots you in your life, and, and uh, it's a wonderful idea and a statement, and it has transformed your life. And then there's other folks that hear that statement, God loves you, and they're like, yeah, I mean, that's okay, I agree with it. 
but I don't really feel God's love on a daily basis, and he kind of feels detached. And, and then there's this third, group that complete, this third group that completely rejects the idea that God loves them. And the reason that they reject the idea is because of negative circumstances all around us. We can cite many of them uh, just recently. And, 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 and not only in the culture, but also in their life. At some point in their life, they have prayed maybe a prayer or two for a loved one that was sick, and God seemingly didn't answer. And the negative circumstances have touched their lives. Maybe they were praying for a child, and, 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 and no child came. Maybe they're praying for a spouse or asking God for, to help them find somebody to spend their life with, and, and no answer has come. And so because of the negative circumstances in their life, they've determined that maybe there just isn't a God of love. Or if there is a God, he just doesn't love me. And what I love about the Bible is that the Bible addresses these issues that we have in our life, these questions, these struggles, these tensions. In Romans chapter 8, we've been looking, about, looking at this text each week so far, and the Apostle Paul writes, can anything ever separate us from God's love? And then he asks the question that we're struggling with here. Does it mean that God no longer loves us if we experience trouble, calamity, persecution, hunger, destitution, danger, or even if our lives are threatened with death? Paul went through all of these things, and his answer is unequivocally, he says, no, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Past tense, loved us. Christ died on the cross and rose again and forever proved that he loves you. If you ever have a doubt of whether or not God loves you, look at a cross. You have to doubt no more. Jesus died for you on the cross. He said it like this. There's no greater love than for a person to lay down his life for his friends. And he did it, and then he took his life back. And so Paul continues on and says, neither life nor death or angels or demons or fears for today or worries about tomorrow, nothing can even come out of hell or separate you from the love of God. Nothing in all creation could ever do it. And so we've been asking this question, why is it that Paul makes this strong argument that there is and always has been an inseparable link between God's love and his people? Like, why take the time and why use language the way he did to make this, to drive this point home that there is an inseparable link between you and God's love if you have a relationship with Christ? It must mean, it must mean that we need it. Someone asked Billy Graham one time, why do you always say God loves you in your sermons? And his answer was simple. If you truly believe that God loved you, it would transform your life. And so what I wanted to do in this series is just explore that question. How is it that receiving God's love transforms our lives? What does that look like? Why is it so important for us to know that nothing can ever separate you from God's love once you have a relationship with Christ? And last week we began by saying that God's love gives you strength for life. If we root ourselves down into his love, if we comprehend it, if we experience it, we will tap into all the life and power that God has for us that actually comes from God. And so that was last week. You find strength for life. It transforms your life by giving you the strength that you need. Today I want to look at another idea. How does receiving God's love transform our life? In your notes, if you're a note taker, you can do it on the app or write this down. God's love brings you home to your true self. God's love brings you home to your true self. Now, that might be a complicated idea, so let me explain it. Your true self. What does that mean? Well, you and I have questions inside of us. We're, we're born with them. Questions like, am I important? Am I significant? Do I have any value? What is the good life? How can I be happy? Have you ever recognized these questions? They're just, they're just in you. 
God has put these questions in you. He's kind of hardwired them into you. We, we are on a search to answer the questions of our significance, our worth, our value. How do you find happiness? Where is life found? You have these questions, I have these questions, and we're all on a search to answer these questions. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 15 that I believe is your story, and I believe it's my story. I believe it's one of the greatest stories, stories he ever told. Let's jump into it really quick. Luke chapter 15. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate before you die, which is a massive insult. It was an insult back then. It's an insult today. You do not get your inheritance before your father dies. But the father overlooks the insult. He's like, okay, no problem. So the dad agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Look what happens next. A few days later, his younger son packed up all his stuff and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in this thing called, say it with me, wild living. He went crazy. He went on a party spree. You know, he went on spring break forever, as long as he could. Okay, later on, we find out the older brother says that he was entertaining prostitutes, and he was getting drunk, and he was, he was a par- party animal. He kind of went off the deep end. What was he doing? was searching for life. He's looking for happiness. He's trying to find answers to the questions of his soul. Where is life found? What is the good life? How can I be happy? He's on the same search that you are on and that I am on. Albert Haas wrote a book called Coming Home to Your True Self. It's a fantastic read. And in this book, he talks about something called the empty peas, the empty peas. He lists eight of them in his book. The empty peas are the things we chase after to answer the questions of our soul. Let me work through them real quick. Number one is pleasure. This was the youngest son. He's going out and he's wasting all of his father's money, his inheritance, on wild living, sexual experiences, trying to fill his body with as much pleasure as he possibly could. Maybe life is found there. And that's why so many people today have turned to drugs and alcohol and pornography and hooking up on dating apps and all of these different things because maybe that's where life is found. Why is there such an incredible opioid problem in this country today that is literally wiping out almost entire towns? People want to feel high. They want to feel good. They want to get high. They want to, maybe that's where life is found. This is the youngest son, pleasure. Then there's people pleasing. Or praise is another way to say it. People will leave on a search to answer the questions of their soul. And they will look to other people. Maybe I can find life. Maybe I can find value. Maybe I can find my significance and my worth by other people praising me and liking me. Then there's power. Or you could say position. People will chase after the ability to control other people like pieces uh, on a chessboard. Move them around. And maybe that's where life is found. Getting a position of authority and power to be admired and be able to make decisions and control scenarios and situations. So a lot of people pursue power and pleasure. A lot of people pursue popularity. That's, these are, in the book, he calls these folks fame fanatics. These are the folks that want as many likes to their posts and pictures on Facebook and as many followers as they can, they can gather. And they want to be seen and known by everybody. Fame, maybe that's where life is found. and Just being popular and being famous. Fame fanatics. Then there's people. These are the folks that actually look to another individual human being for the answers to their soul. This is the woman at the well in John chapter 4, right? What does Jesus say to her in John chapter 4? Go get your 
husband. She says what? I don't have a husband. What does Jesus say? I know. You've had five. And now you're working on your sixth. You're shacking up with the sixth guy. That's my paraphrase. He didn't actually say that. What was she doing? She was looking to a person, another man. Maybe if I just find the right guy. Listen, single feet people. Listen, I understand the desire to be with somebody. I, I, I'm, I'm wired up to be married. I'm not wired up to be single. But even after you get married, this person will never make you happy. Can I get an amen, married people? Can I get an amen? Yeah. And I'm married to a fantastic person. But she's not Jesus. People. We look to people. We look to, to a person. To satisfy us. Then we look to productivity. This is a huge one in our culture today. Our value is determined by how much we can accomplish and what we do and how much money we make and how many rewards we, we gather and how many accomplishments we have. Maybe, the, maybe if, I'm, if I just produce more, I'll, I'll find out that I'm significant and I'm worth something. And then there's perfection. The perfect house. The Pinterest house. <laughs> Where everything's in order. The perfect body. You know, and the perfect hair, and the perfect face, and the perfect whatever, and the perfect photos, and the perfect life, the perfect kids who've got the perfect GPA, GPA, right? Perfection. We search for it. Maybe that's where life is found. And then this last one, the, the last empty P of possessions. What are we doing? We're searching for answers to the question of our soul. Maybe if I accumulate more stuff, houses and jewelry and cars and things. Maybe that's where life is found. And after all, the people who seem to be the happiest, at least on the outside, have the most stuff. Jesus had something to say about possessions. Luke chapter 12. Beware and guard against all kinds of greed. Because why? Life is not measured by how much you own. Oh, what a statement. In other words, you don't, you're not going to find the answers to the, to the questions of your soul by accumulating more stuff. That's not how life is measured. He could have plugged in any of the empty P's in there. He could have said, life is not measured by how many people know you. Life is not measured by, by how popular you are. Not, life is not measured by how much pleasure you experience. Life is not measured by, by any of these P's. Possessions. We, we hear that, but, but, but many of us are not convinced. Ted Turner was once asked by Barbara Walters, if you don't know who Ted Turner, Ted Turner is, he was the former owner of the Atlanta Braves, former owner of the Atlanta Hawks. He founded the WCW, uh, the, the, that wrestling organization, founded CNN, TBS. He's a really rich dude. His net worth is like $2.3 billion dollars. Well, Barbara Walters, uh, remember her? She interviewed Ted and she asked him this question. What's it like to be rich? What's it feel like to be really rich? This is what Ted said. It's like a paper bag. Everyone sees the bag. Everyone wants it. But once you get the bag, you discover the bag is what? It's empty. It's an empty pea. Possessions, wealth. It doesn't satisfy. King Solomon of ancient Israel was the richest man at his time. He had gold and silver more than he could ever. People were bringing him gold and silver and he was so wealthy. He could do whatever he wanted. He could buy whatever he wanted and he did. He said, there's nothing that I didn't get that my heart wanted. And then in Ecclesiastes chapter two, verse 11, this was his, this was his conclusion. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. It was like chasing after the wind. Have you ever chased after the wind? <laughs> Nothing was gained under the sun. It's like I had it all. Money, women, gold, houses, vineyards, 
Musicians, I could do whatever I want, I could have whatever I want, and it was all meaningless, like chasing after the wind. The empty peas. Why are they called the empty peas? In your notes, I wrote it like this. The empty peas always leave you in the pig pen. The pig pen. What's the pig pen? Well, let's look back at the story Jesus is telling. Watch this. About the time where his money ran out, ever been there? Come on. Your money ever run out? You ever come to the end of your rope? Your plan spoiled? About the time that his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The pigs. Talk about pigs today. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. Can you imagine getting so hungry that you want to eat pig food? Slop. Nasty. Spoiled vegetables and lettuce and pods. Who knows what are from the pods. But no one gave him anything. You want to know what his view looked like? This was his view right here. Yeah, that's what he was looking at. You know, pigs are nasty animals. You know anything about pigs? I I grew up in the city, so I don't know anything about pigs. I had to go to the zoo to see a pig. Well, I just recently found out, I'm embarrassed about this, I just recently found out that the reason that pigs roll around in the mud is because pigs don't sweat. Did you guys know that? I mean, this is Indiana, maybe you did. (laughs) They don't sweat, who knew? I didn't. They have no sweat glands. So what they have to do is they have to roll around in the mud so that they stay cool. Because if, if they don't stay cool, they die of becoming overheated. So I'm like, that's why they're rolling around in the mud. That's why they're filthy, nasty animals. And then they go to the bathroom in the mud. And so then they have to roll around in that. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and we're slicing up bacon, you know, just loving it in the morning. It's cooking it up. Give me some more bacon. Thing's been sitting in his poop up for, for his whole life. Pass the bacon, you know? We, we're weird people, man. We are. This is his view. This is his view. He's, he's, he's taken his father's inheritance. He spent it on prostitutes and partying and wild living, trying to find life, trying to find answers to the questions of his soul. And he, and he ends up in the pig pen. This is where all the empty peas leave us. For a while, God will allow the empty peas to bring some satisfaction to us as we heap up wealth or buy more stuff or become famous or well-known or gain the praise of our fellow human beings. For a while, it's like, man, it's pretty good. Look, I can do this. I can do that. People respect me. Look, I got so many followers on blah, 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 whatever. But eventually, the money runs out. And eventually, there'll be a famine. And eventually, we end up in the pig pen. See, because God loves you, watch this, ready, in your notes, God will thwart your plan. I love that word thwart. (laughs) It has the word wart in it. (laughs) He will thwart your plan. What does that mean to thwart? It means to spoil your plan. It means to obstruct. Another word is impede. It means to block, to stop. God, because he, watch this, because he loves you, will orchestrate a famine to send you to the pig pen. Why? Because the empty peas will never answer the questions of your soul. 
So he has to get you into the slop to realize that that plan for your salvation will never work. He will orchestrate an emptiness after you get the house, the big house, and, and you feel that he will orchestrate this emptiness inside of you. After you get the promotion and the raise and now your bank accounts are growing, he will orchestrate a, a, an emptiness inside of you. After you have that sexual experience that you thought would be the best thing in the world, now you have guilt and shame and maybe an STD to go along with it and you're empty again. And, and he will orchestrate a famine to get you to the mud so that something powerful can happen. What is that? Well, let's look back at the story. When he finally came to his senses, oh, this is perhaps one of the greatest phrases in the Bible. See, God will orchestrate a famine and he will, he will allow you to run out of money and he will thwart your plan so that you'll end up in the mud with the pigs so hungry that you want to eat slop so that you will come to your senses. Does anybody need to come to their senses today? I'm preaching to you right now. Do you, do you need to like have this moment that the actual phrase in the Greek is, is he came to himself. And what that means is that he's thinking, what have I done? What did I, what was I thinking? Like prostitutes and alcohol. And did I think that's where life was found? Like, what, how did I get so far off? Look where I ended up in the slop. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to eat and spare. And here I am dying of this hunger. Here's what I'll do. I have an idea. I will go home to my father. Oh, some of you need to go home to your father today. And here's what I'll say to my father. Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've, against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just take me on as one of your hired servants. I don't even want you to reinstate me as, one, as your family. I just want to be, be on the team. Because I know that real life is found in your house, under your roof, under your authority. I have been so wrong. I've come to my senses. Do you need to come to your senses today? I need to come to my senses regularly because the empty peas are calling out. Chase me, grab me, pleasure, power, position, praise, popularity, people, productivity. They're calling out to you and they're calling out to me and I find myself on a regular basis <laughs> having to go home to my heavenly father. And so the son returns to his father because he came to his senses. And this is maybe the best part of the story. While he was still a long way off, I mean, he's just, just cracking hit the horizon. His little bobbing head just crosses over the horizon. His father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. Can I ask you a question today? How is it that the father saw him? I mean, the, the kid took his inheritance and, 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 and did despicable things with it. How is it that the father saw him? Well, the answer to the question is simple. The father was looking. 
He was on the porch. He was on the front porch of the house, pacing, looking for his son, waiting, looking at the horizon. Where is he? Maybe today. Maybe he'll come. Gosh. Or maybe he was in, right inside the house at the kitchen window, just staring out the kitchen window at the horizon. Where is he? Maybe today. Oh, I hope he comes home. Why was he looking? Because his heart was filled with love and compassion. Did you know that Christianity is the only faith system that portrays God as a God who loves sinners? I mean, Jewish men in, in, in the New Testament did not run. They wore long robes, and there was no running for Jewish men. They, did, they didn't have marathons. They didn't have spandex or running shorts or running shoes. They wore long robes, and they walked in sandals. And here is this Jewish man having to grab all of his linens and stuff and hold them and run. He sees his son's head bobbing on the horizon and he, he opens up into what for him would be a sprint as fast as he, as he could run. And when he gets to his son, he can't take his hands off him. He grabs him, holds him, starts kissing him, embracing him. And when the son finally tries to speak, watch what happens. Father cuts him off. He says, quick! Bring the finest robe into the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that we've been saving, that we've been fattening for a, for a, a major event. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and now he's returned to life. He was lost and now he's found. And so the party began. <laughs> it's amazing to me that, that, that he doesn't even let the son give his speech. He tries and he cuts him off. The father's love. It's overwhelming. You know what's amazing? I, I, I didn't say this in your notes, but the father never stops loving us, even when we're in the mud. He never stops. It's, it's like you would think that, that, that God... Would, would turn on us at some point. Look, look what you've done. You've, you've taken all the money. You've spent my inheritance. You've done terrible things with the money. And, and, and now you're cut off. There's so many people out there today. And maybe you're watching and you're one of our locations. And, and maybe you're here. But I know you know somebody like this who, who would say and think, I'm too far gone. God will never accept me. You know, I, I've, been, I've been doing bad things. for. I, would ne I could never walk into the church because if I did, the walls would burn down. They'd fall down. You ever heard people say this? It's not true. It's not true. God never stops loving us. Even when we're in the mud. In fact, he orchestrated the mud. He planned the famine. He made sure you ran out of money so that you would end up in the emptiness. See, the emptiness is his plan to bring you home to himself. And the son comes to his senses and he goes home and, and he can't even get his speech out. His father's throwing a party, he's, he's getting the robe, he's getting a ring, he's getting shoes. How, how, what's the point of this story? What is Jesus trying to communicate? Well, here's, here's another way to ask it. How does the love of God transform our lives? And here's the answer. God's love 
stops the striving. The Father's love stops the striving. You say, what? What are you talking about, striving? Well, the striving after answers to the question. Am I important? Am I significant? What's my value? Where is the good life found? How can I be happy? It stops the striving after the empty peas of pleasure, of people pleasing, of praise, of power and position, of popularity, of trying to find a person to satisfy you, trying to be productive, trying to have a perfect body or perfect spouse or perfect kids or trying to accumulate possessions. All of the striving ceases and you suddenly become settled in your identity, your true self as child of God, son or daughter of God. Does that mean that you don't Pursue other things? No, it just means that you don't have to. Because you're good. Does that mean that you don't have a lot of followers on Facebook? No, it doesn't mean that. It's just that you could take it or leave it. Does that mean you don't have a nice, beautiful house? No, it doesn't mean that. It just means you don't have to if you don't want to. All of the striving stops. Wouldn't that be a relief to your soul? Yes or no? Wouldn't that just be like, you mean I don't have to I don't have to constantly try to please people. You mean I don't have to have what she has and what they have and I don't have to buy the new car because the neighbor's got the new car and I don't have to compete? You mean I don't have to have the same body as she has and the same shape and the same hair? You mean I don't have to? Yes, you don't have to. Because the love of God answers all the questions of your soul. Am I valuable? Am I, am, I, am I worth anything? Am I significant? Where is the good life found? How can I be happy? Right in the Father's house. Amen? You are a son or daughter of God. Your worth is wrapped up in your identity as a child of God. Will you buy that idea? It'll change your life. All the striving will stop. Brennan Manning, one of my favorite authors, wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. In that book, he wrote this. My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. When this son came home, he did not earn it. He did not deserve the father's love. He knew it himself. That's why he said, I'll just be a hired servant. I don't even want to be your son. I just want to be, I just want to be in the house somewhere. He says, no. We're going to have a party. We're going to put a ring on your finger, sandals on your feet, robe over your shoulders. There's a great story I want to share with you as we wrap up. A guy named Phil Anderson, he wrote a book called Running on Empty. And Phil had this massive struggle with chasing after productivity to find his value. And it was so severe that... He, he was in the ministry, he was serving Jesus, and he just felt like that his value was wrapped up in how much he could get done for Jesus. And he worked so hard and so long that he ended up not only physically harming his body, but psychologically he, he had to check into a mental hospital. And he began the healing process in the hospital, but when he got out, he still was broken in many ways. And he said things changed for him when he had an experience on a beach in North Carolina one day. He said he was walking down the beach and he happened to see a, a, a nine-year-old boy playing in the, in the shallow surf. And as he got about 20 yards away from this little boy, the boy turned to him and he could tell, they locked eyes and he could tell the boy had Down syndrome. 
And what he says in the book is that the boy, as soon as he locked eyes with him, let out this screech, and it was a name, but Phil said he couldn't recognize the name. And he started, the little boy started to sprint at Phil, about 20 yards away. And because he didn't have time to think, he just got down on a knee. And this boy charged at him, jumped into his arms, and started squeezing his neck and hugging on him, and then started to profusely kiss him on the mouth, (laughs) on the beach. After this situation broke up and he kind of got himself away from the boy and he was sort of stunned, there was the mother standing there. And she was embarrassed and she was apologizing. Oh my gosh, my son, he thought you were so-and-so. And, and he's just filled, his heart was filled with love and, and Phil's like, no problem. I'm a pastor, it's okay. And he just kept walking on by. Well, he couldn't get this situation out of his head. He was gripped by it. Listen to what he says in the book. I love this. He says, for the next several days, I couldn't get far from this experience in my mind. Still, I was not certain why or how this incident had such an impact on my life. Finally, a few evenings later, sitting alone on my front porch, interesting space, God spoke to me. Quote, Phil, I'd love to tell you why that experience has such a grip on you. That little boy was a picture of my wild and reckless love for you. The way he looked into your eyes is the way I have looked at you. The beaming smile on his face is how you make me smile. The way he wildly screamed with glee is how I feel about you. The way he held you in that tight embrace is like mine. The way he kissed you only begins to express the love that is in my heart for you. Phil, you can't imagine how great and infinite is the love that is in my heart for you. I am totally crazy about you. I simply can't take my eyes off you. He would go on to say this. Being given the opportunity to have a clearer look into the heart of Jesus Christ and to begin to understand the wild, passionate, and unconditional love that is in his heart for me is the most most life-changing vision my heart has ever held. It healed his heart. It healed the pace of his life. The striving fell away because he settled into his identity as child of God. Will you? Will you believe the idea that God is wildly, passionately crazy about you and that he can't take his eye. I struggle with that. Sometimes I think like, he probably doesn't even want to look at me right now. I've been in the pig pen, flopping around in sin. He's probably disgusted. If I came home right now, he'd probably have a lecture for me. He'd probably say, stay outside until you get cleaned up, son. I struggle with that. How about you? But it is not true. When you and I come home to our Heavenly Father, He doesn't say, stay outside until you get cleaned up. He doesn't sit us down and lecture us. He doesn't make us pay the price. He says, get over here and kiss me. And He puts a sloppy, wet kiss on your mouth. Do you believe that? That's how Jesus portrays 
our Heavenly Father. And it's because of that love that every time we end up in a pig pen, we can come home to our Heavenly Father. And there will be a party. The love of God brings you home to your true self. All of the striving to answer the questions of the soul falls away because all the answers are found in your identity as child of God. What empty pea have you been chasing? I'd like to ask questions that get under your skin. In fact, I'd like this question to bother you all week. As you chase after the next dollar, as you chase after the next like on your photos, as you try to have the perfect body, as you, I'd like this question to mess with you so that you will leave the pig pen and go home to your heavenly father. Your value and your worth comes from your identity as child of God and nothing else. As we wrap up, this story is a picture of the gospel. I mean, it's the best picture that Jesus could give other than dying on the cross himself and rising again. In fact, he tells this story in response to his critics. I don't know if you knew that. He was being criticized for hanging out with prostitutes and sinners and tax collectors. And they're like, why do you hang out with this? You can look it up. Luke 15, verse 1. Why do you hang out with the scum of the earth like this? And Jesus says, you want to know why? <laughs> there, was a, there was a father who had two sons. The first son demanded his inheritance. And then he told the story. Jesus told this story to give you a picture of your own story. You've walked away in search for answers to questions you will never find outside of Jesus Christ. He gave his life for you to communicate who you're supposed to be and where the good life is found and what your value is. He died for you, he paid for your sins. He came back to life on the third day. We just celebrated Easter, that was what Easter was all about, so that you can become his child. Will you trust him? Will you come home maybe for the first time ever to your heavenly father? I'm gonna say a simple prayer, it's a prayer of faith. It's not the words themselves that matter. Don't get hung up on that. You can it's the faith behind the words. Express it in your own language. I'm gonna lead you in this prayer. Talk to God as if it's only you and him in the room. Let his love draw you out of the pig pen and come home as a daughter, as a son of God. Will you pray this? Jesus. Thank you for never giving up on me. Thank you for orchestrating a famine, a pig pen experience, so that I could come to my senses. I'm coming home to you today. I trust you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you for paying the price. Thank you for forgiving me. Cleanse me from my sin. Wash me. Receive me by faith. I believe in you. And from this day forward, 
may all the striving fall away. Help me to stop chasing the empty peas and come home to you every single day. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we welcome those who have just come home today? Amen. The Bible says there's rejoicing in heaven when one person puts their faith in Christ. If you did that today at any one of our physical locations or online, we want to put one of these starter kits in your hands. It is a saved box. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You can text the word saved to 65248. We'll get one of these in your hand. And uh, if you're at one of our locations, you can get one of these at the information desk out there after you text the word saved. If you're watching online, we can send one of these to you in the mail. Inside there is a Bible. There's some instructions on how to get started in your new faith and a coffee cup to say congratulations. One more time, church, can we give God glory? Amen. Will you pray with me? And then we're going to hand things off to our local teams. Father, thank you so much for your relentless pursuit of us. You love us. You never give up on us. In your faithfulness and love, you orchestrate a famine so that we will come to our senses and come home to you. May we allow all of the striving to fall away and find our true worth and identity as son or daughter of God. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Right now, I'm gonna hand things off to the local teams. God bless you. We'll see you next week.